Oh, Gonzo, hey, you want to do a puppet act with me? Cue the disaster. What's a puppet? Oh, well, see... It's, 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 a, it's a doll. Yeah, it's made to look alive by wiggling strings. Yeah, or, strings. Or putting your hand inside of hands, like that. What a stupid idea. Who wants to watch dolls wiggle? Well, uh, I mean, even I wouldn't do an act like that. Doll wiggling? Talk about boring. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him... Hi-ho, and welcome once again to A Feat of Lunatic Daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, what is up? Oh, playing that game, living that life. It is another Friday here, although I imagine we usually release on what, Tuesday, or Wednesdays, Thursdays? Arbitrarily on Thursdays. <laughs> Thursday's a good day. No, yeah. it's, uh, it's finally chilling off a little bit in the Bay Area. I say that it'll be warm again next week, but it's been pretty blustery out for the last couple of days got my uh, second covid booster i need to schedule mine keep my butt for about 24 hours i i haven't had any reactions to them yet but i know that it's gonna happen at some point no i think you're good my wife's the same way she she has not had a reaction to any of them nice i think it's just some people or some people will it gets to and some people it doesn't and i just unfortunately know when i get my covid shot that i'm gonna have a real shitty day the next you know next day it hit it hit me like i got my shot at like noonish it started to hit me that night and i was kind of out of commission the next day glad i get it did it last week when we were off this is a feed of lunatic daring we're a podcast about jim henson and the muppets before we get started we'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at lunatic daring on facebook instagram and twitter and lunaticdaring.com where you can find our watch list our bibliography and our episodes we're currently going through The Muppet Show two episodes at a time. We are on season five. That's the last season, by the way. Season five of The Muppet Show. Two episodes at a time. Interesting episodes tonight. You were saying before we recorded, you think the kind of middle of the road? I, I would say that, yeah. There, there are things I like. There are things that I don't necessarily like as much. There are a couple of things I find deeply disturbing, but we'll get into that in the middle in a minute. But they, I wouldn't say that they were bad episodes. They're just... It's going to be tough to to see these in comparison to some of the other ones, even some of the other ones we've seen so far for this season. Um, I don't think they, they pull the same kind of weight. I could agree with that. Well, let's dive into them. Let's get started. Let's get started. So, did you know any, you ever heard, you ever know anything about Glenda Jackson? I don't think I've ever heard the name. No, I hadn't really either, except for I knew she hosted the Muppet show. Surprise! It surprised me to find out she won two Oscars for what movies. Well, I guess we'll get into that in a second, won't you? Yeah, Glenda May Jackson was born May 9th, nineteen thirty-six, in Cheshire, England. Her father was a builder, and her mom worked at a pub and cleaned houses. She was educated at, at Holy Trinity Church of England, and then at a grammar school for girls, where she took drama classes. The first time she was on stage was in a YMCA production. In 1954, she won a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London, where she studied, of course, acting. She started working while she was still in school. She made her pro debut on stage in a play called Doctor in the House. She auditioned for the Royal Shakespeare Company, but didn't get in. It was a tough time, a long time between gigs, and she worked as a waitress, a receptionist, and in retail. Her film debut was a bit part in 1963's A Sporting Life. She did eventually join the Royal Shakespeare Company, though, and star in a few more plays there. She played Ophelia in Hamlet to great acclaim. She was in the play Us, which is a protest play against the Vietnam War in 1966, and later appeared in its film version. Her starring role in Ken Russell's adaptation of Women in Love earned her the Academy Award for Best Actress. She played Elizabeth I in a BBC serial, which earned her two Emmys in the U.S. once it aired here. She was nominated for another Oscar and a BAFTA for her role in Sunday Bloody Sunday in 1971, which was a hit in the UK. In 1973, she starred in the romantic comedy A Touch of Class with George Siegel. Yet again, the film was successful and it won Glenda her second Academy Award for Best Actress. All this time, she kept returning to the stage, working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. In 78, she did House Calls, a comedy film starring Walter Matthau, which reached number one at the US box office. Her and Mathau teamed up again for Hopscotch in 1980, which also did quite well. Of course, in 80, she also did The Muppet Show. 
In 81, she returned to Broadway with the play Rose opposite Jessica Tandy and was nominated for a Tony. She did some work at the famous Old Vic Theater in London. She did Eugene O'Neill and Edward Albee in a production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, directed by Albee himself, with John Lithgow as George. Albee was reportedly not happy with Jackson's overall performance. She kind of retired from acting after that and went into politics. And listen, I'm not going to pretend to understand the UK political system. As we're recording this, Liz Truss just announced her her resignation as Prime Minister of London after like, what, 33 33 days, 42 days, something like that. So I'm not going to pretend to know how UK politics works. Glenda was a member of the Labour Party her entire life. She stood for all sorts of left-wing causes, including abortion rights and gender equality. She identified herself as a socialist, a small-r Republican, and opposed the British monarchy. So she ended up being elected to British Parliament and served as an MP from 1992 to 2010. She served for two years as the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Transport, which I guess is like the Secretary of Transportation that we have here. There's a lot more to her political life that I don't get, so I'm skipping it. But she was a full-blown member of Parliament for 18 years. After 23 years, she left politics and went back to acting, returning to the stage in 2016 at 80 years old to play King Lear at the Old Vic Theater. That's right, she played King Lear. The production went to Broadway where Glenda earned glowing reviews. In 2019, she did a television drama called Elizabeth is Missing for BBC One, where she played a woman struggling with dementia, a role that won her, won her, a role that won her many awards, including a BAFTA TV award. She was married once and divorced once and has one child. She's still alive and kicking at age 86. So yeah, half her career as an actor, half of it as a member of the British Parliament. The Muppet Show, episode number 507 with special guest star Glenda Jackson, produced April 21st through 24th, 1980, debuted that winter in both the UK and in New York. We have our cold open. Um, Pops is on the phone ordering a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but he wants to make sure that, that the person who he's ordering it from, which I assume is the chef or maybe Gladys, but he wants to make sure that the person, whoever, whoever he's ordering it from, he wants to make sure that they know that the peanut butter and jelly sandwich should talk. I don't know what he's up to. There are about four ways that that could go, but I'm just going to assume that he's lonely. Glenda comes in with a penguin on her arm. Uh, who are you? I'm Glenda Jackson, and you must be Pops, the doorman. And I'm Eric. Glenda Jackson? No, Eric. Not the famous actress. Yes. That's right, Eric, not the famous actress. Beats me why you stars hang around with creeps like that. I'm not his creep, I'm his limousine. And then uh, Glenda says that she's the parrot's limousine, mm-hmm. which is very strange. And then drives off with the parrot, with the, not the parrot. I keep, see, I'm spoiling it already by calling, we are, her, calling but also spoiler. The, it's seated here. And it's something that I wouldn't have noticed just on my first watch through because it is, the penguin is sitting on her arm, sort of like a parrot, but we don't like, I'm not looking to the bump or I should rephrase that. I'm not looking at the Muppet show for foreshadowing in most cases. I can usually pick up on it when it's there because you'll see the setup for a joke. But this one, I just didn't see coming. I just thought they were just doing it to do it. Uh, we have our Muppet Show theme. When Gonzo does his uh, his trumpet blast, he gets uh, pushed out of the way by a bunch of penguins. Kermit comes out to introduce our first number. Well, first he introduces the fact that, this, that tonight's episode is going to include Centipede Tag Team Wrestling, which I'm really gypped. I feel really gypped that we didn't get to see that. Would we have known what we were looking at? It would have been fairly avant-garde. And then also the singing marinated turnips, which I'm kind of glad we don't get. Don't like turnips. And then, of course, Glenda Jackson. But first, he introduces the opening musical number starring the great Gonzo. And Kermit describes it as a semi-autobiographical extravaganza. And we get Gonzo singing Jim Croce's Working at the Car Wash Blues. With a group of chickens as a supporting cast. I mean, I don't know much about Jim Croce, but from what few songs of his I've heard, I wouldn't assume that Gonzo would be the Muppet that most mirrored that vibe 
Well, I think he works well for this one. Yeah. The opening line of this song is he says that he's he's been doing 90 days. He just got out of prison. He did 90 days for non-support, which I'm assuming means that he's a deadbeat dad. I mean, I could also see it being a, da- a draft dodge, depending on when the song was written, but maybe. So, and the theme of the song is that I should be sitting in an office... I should have a nice job, but instead I have to work at the car wash. It's kind of a blue-collar lament, I guess. But a peppy blue-collar lament. It does get a little frisky when he has uh, Camilla in his office and playing Miss Leghorn as his, as his secretary. She, she comes in and he basically gives a hubba-hubba and tells her, let's take the afternoon off, and then she jumps on top of him. That's not appropriate workplace behavior, by the way. Uh, no. No, it is not. He's her boss. He's her boss. That's not appropriate. There's a power differential in this fantasy. Which, there you is. know, in the realm of fantasy, that's... I guess that's the one place that's okay, but... <laughs> I guess. I thought this number was fun, though. It was a good one. It was a solid one. It gave me some slight Billy Joel vibes. Not the song, but, like, the... I guess the the theme. This is a good episode for Gonzo? Yeah. Yeah, it and is. you get a good, nice, big, big Gonzo opening number. Was I was very happy to see that. So Kermit comes. So we get to our backstage story pretty much right away. Kermit, well, it's kind of backstage. It's most. It's also on stage. Kermit comes backstage to talk to Glenda to greet her, and she's only talking in nautical terms, and she's kind of smirking when she does it, smirking along with her penguin. And they're, they're talking in aquatic maritime terms. Uh, oh, ahoy, uh, Glenda. May I come in? Come aboard. Officer of the watch, pipe the frog aboard. Uh, thank you. I just wanted to make sure you were comfortable. Me? Oh, any old port in a storm. Uh, oh, I'm sorry I've been so busy. Bilge wash. I'm glad to see you run a tight little ship. And um, eventually Kermit asks about it. And she reveals that she is not Glenda Jackson. She is Captain Black Jackson, a pirate. And she uh, takes off her coat and she is dressed up like a pirate. The story for this episode is going to be that the guest star thinks she is a pirate. I want to harp on that a little bit because this this feels like half of a concept episode. What I mean when I say that is like it's not fully nested like the, the Robin Hood or the Alice in Wonderland episode, but it's still driving that concept home to the effect that it does break up the show. And we get a little bit of dream logic in there too, at some point, but it feels, it feels like something I should have liked more than I did, which is usually the reaction that I have to a lot of Terry Gilliam's work. Like this seems like something that I should really like, but there's something about it that just doesn't catch. Um, And I, I can't put my finger on what it is, but maybe we'll get there. So she, so we also find out that Eric, the penguin is actually a parrot wearing a penguin suit. So Kermit saying, well, take it off. Yeah. Take it off. Just, yeah. Prove it. Um, yeah. I was like, that's Kermit's kind of cocky, but okay. Yeah. And, and, and at first Eric just says, no, <laughs> which I thought was funny. He just goes, no, but he eventually takes off his penguin suit, puts on his parrot suit. And now we have Eric, the parrot. And also Glenda has brought with her, um, she pulls up a, a trap door in the floorboards and she's brought with her like four other kind of whatnot pirates. And she and her motley crew are going to take over the show as good pirates would do. And when we're talking pirates, we're talking pop culture pirates, not real pirates. <laughs> Some of the way that this is shot and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to this on a later episode, the way that she's, she's framed in a lot of these shots after she, after she, go, after she goes full pirate, does seem a little bit like a rehearsal for the guys to deal with Bowie as Jareth. Like the way that she plays against all of the Muppets that are in the foreground in a lot of those shots. And like, she looks to them to sort of affirm what she's doing, it, which isn't a bad thing. Um, it's just, right. it stuck out to me a little bit. Sweetums is also one of the pirates. <laughs> He's turned. That didn't take much, but he hasn't had any big roles. He hasn't had any big numbers in a while. So he's probably, you know, a little disgruntled. He's like, at least she's going to put me in the show. Kermit. So then we we move right away to four of the pirates on stage singing uh, Tie the Man Down, you know, old sea shanty type song. Um, but the they just end up tying themselves in knots. It's a bizarre little kind of piece that they do. I don't know. It was okay. 
it's something so we we bleed out from backstage to the stage back to backstage with the same thing and i think that's i don't i don't want to say they didn't commit because they did commit and she in particular committed very hard she did but it still it feels like half a concept episode as they're doing this because the framing shifts and then i think when we go backstage this time you've got sweetums at uh the i'm forgetting the name for the wheel uh the helm. I say, huh at the helm the helm thank you i would say mast is wrong but uh you got sweetums at the helm and you're just it it starts sliding into the sort of dream logic space which isn't a bad thing again it, the theater is gradually going to become a, pi- a pirate ship yeah in almost supernatural fashion and this sounds like something that i should be thrilled about and i'm not angry about it either it's just this weird sort of like something's not clicking i i didn't love this episode either just to get that out of the way i thought it was fine so after the timing tie the man down a uh, little little just kind of musical interlude almost it feels like glenda announces that uh or, or black jackson uh has announced that um the muppets are uh that she is going to take over the muppet theater and sail it out to sea to look for buried treasure and uh kermit is not a huge fan of this, but so they tie him up instead. She does have a bit, a bit. Cast off the bow lines! Hey! Cast off the stern lines! Cast off the punch lines! Yeah! But, uh, and she, she's enlisted some more people because, like, Kermit gets tied up by, like, the green frackle. And so, like, she's, she's slowly gaining more people into her pirate army. And you start to hear, this is where the reality starts to bleed, right? Because mm-hmm. you start to hear like the sounds at sea when she says we're setting off to sea and the, the set starts to rock a little bit. My six year old or my nine year old was very she was like, oh, they're just tilting the camera. And I was like, yeah, she's like, they're just tilting the camera. There's a comparison like, I didn't think I was going to make. What? Hey, Chad, have you ever seen a uh, live in large with TC Carson? No. no. Oh, OK. This is going to fall flat. Then don't worry about it. Uh, it's sort of, I've, I haven't seen thank you for, or sorry to bother you, but I've heard that it's an echo of that, but TC Carson progressively becomes wider throughout the course of the movie as he becomes more indoctrinated into his, his role as a new reporter. And like, you just see this progression of him going from like, okay, he randomly has a James Brown perm to full on Chappelle and whiteface thing. Right. Right. And it's kind of, like, if you see a screenshot, that final result is freaking terrifying, but that, that sort of slow drip progression there, it, it is reminiscent of this, but I didn't, until you said that about your daughter and the camera, I was like, Oh God, it does do that. Kermit. I know it was very funny. Kermit comes out still wrapped up in rope to introduce Fozzie and he tries to do his little yay wave, but his hands are bound, but he uh, introduces Fozzie and Fozzie comes out to do his act, but he only gets one joke out. Uh, folks, things are a little weird here tonight. So try and bear with us. And to help you bear with us, we have a bear with us, that king of near-miss comedy, Fozzie Bear! Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Hey, did you hear about the new sport they have? Yeah, you walk through five miles of poison ivy. It's called itch hiking. Ah! Whoa. And then the curtain behind Fozzie falls. And what do we have sitting in front of a blue screen? <laughs> As you can tell. Is a, we're a, is a pirate ship. Is the, the deck of a pirate ship. And so now we have this big set that's kind of the set piece of the number of the episode. So this is Glinda at her most Pippi Longstocking. Like this scene in particular, maybe it's the blue sky behind her. Also the green screen fuzz. Is that something that you would have noticed on one of the old TVs? Like not as much. No, I don't think, but there's definitely a degradation of the quality. There's definitely, like you said, a a fuzz to it. I mean, you you can definitely see kind of the flash lines around the characters when they're in certain places and stuff. So it definitely is. um, It definitely doesn't hold up in HD as well. I mean, it didn't bother me, but it's definitely there. And uh, Glenda and she's got the trolls now are on her side too. The three uh, big troll guys. Terrifying, but yes. Yeah, they're, 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 you know, one of them has a peg leg and uh, they're now on her side. And she sings a song called A Capital Ship, which is uh, based on an old traditional sea shanty. 
and uh, yeah, and it's just kind of a hey, we're pirate song. I mean, I feel like that's most of maybe that's part of what it is. Is I don't. I mean, you see a progression as the studio becomes more and more of a ship. Yes, but so much of it seems like it's circling the same three points throughout. There's not really an arc to this per se, outside of the location change. Whenever they're doing pirate stuff, they're doing very, very generic pirate stuff until the end, where it gets it gets funny. Number was okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll say whoever was doing the troll with the peg leg was doing an amazing job, <laughs> getting around the stage in that big walk around Muppet costume with only one leg. I thought it was pretty impressive. Uh, we get our UK spot. <laughs> I like this one. This should not have been a UK spot. They should have been in the show proper. Eric the parrot comes out and sings Carolina in the morning. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the back morning. No one could be sweeter than my sweetie when I greet her in the crack morning. Which is an old song from like the 1920s. It's like exactly 100 years old, the song. And while he's singing, nothing could be finer than, than to be in Carolina. The Swedish chef comes up behind him, kind of dancing a little bit. But he also has a tape measure <laughs> and he starts fitting the bird for a roasting pan and he 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 takes his measurements and the bird keeps singing and he comes back in with a roasting pan and he's getting ready to put the bird in the roasting pan because you know the chef can't any kind of avian creature the chef will try to cook it he's a he's a fan of the fowl eric is too smart for that and he turns around and he shoots him and he shoots the chef in this case the chef is at the business end of a blunderbuss just shoots the chef right in the face with a blunderbuss. Or it's more of a flintlock pistol. No, it's not. It looks like a blunderbuss. It's not It's not as big as one, though. I thought it was a flintlock when I saw it. But then again, maybe it's just to scale. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Either way, he shoots the chef in the face with some kind of old-timey gunpowder pistol. And um, that's the end of that. But it, w- it was funny, and the chef was really funny. We get backstage, and now the backstage is looking more and more like a ship, and things are rocking back and forth. Have you ever seen anybody like Huff Paint? Only in movies. But that's yeah. what Scooter reminded me of. <laughs> My takeaway was that he looked like a moldy orange. Like he looks like he does look like a moldy orange. Turn a little bit. See, he looked to me as like someone who was like huffing paint, had spray paint on their face. But the ship's rocking back and forth. The theater slash ship is rocking back and forth. And Scooter comes in and his eyes are all swirly and his, his, his face is painted green or at least part of it is. And you're right, though. It does look like mold is growing on his face. And uh, he comes in and he's... Uh, He's getting seasick and everyone else is getting seasick and uh, Kermit calls for the next number, the next number to go on stage. And the next number is something we haven't seen in a while. Every time I think it's gone, it comes back is at the dance. We haven't seen this in a very long time. So we have an at the dance number and uh, all the jokes are the jokes that you get from at the dance. Yeah, yeah, they're all jokes that you get from out the dance, and they're all they're all uh, they are all punctuated by sliding furniture as the the set because they're they're dancing on the ship. I will say, keelhaul the riders was a decent joke. Keelhaul the riders and hoist the laugh track. Yeah, yeah, that was a very good joke. But we got an at the dance, which was I thought, which was gave me kind of flashbacks. We get to the wild wild world of Muppet sports. This might have been the highlight or one of the highlights of the episode. It's pretty funny. Louis Gazagger is sitting on top of the ship's mast and there's a, a, a whatnot sailor and he's hanging from the mast and he's trying to set the world record for yard arm hanging. Well, can you tell us a little about yard arm hanging? Well, the main thing is you got to never look down. That way you may get dizzy and fall. Uh, yes, I can understand that. Uh, how high up is this yard arm? Golly, I don't know. Well, this must be a hundred and something. You still got a chance. Grab onto something. Grab onto something. And then then there's a beat, and then he goes, Not the mic cord? <laughs> and he takes Kazagger down with him. Obviously, to their deaths, or to a to a pronounced concussion. So we get to see a character we haven't seen in a while again. Uh, we had we was, got a number we haven't seen in a while. But we got to see a character we haven't seen in a while, which is Shaky Sanchez. I wasn't expecting to see Shaky Sanchez ever again. And it's just a funny little bit about Shaky Sanchez and his bomb balancing act, which is like the worst thing you want to do when you're on a rocking pirate ship. As the poster child for anxiety. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Shaky, Chan- Shaky, Shaky Sanchez is a character from all the way back in the windmills of your mind number. Still one of my favorite Muppet bits. And he's that character from that. Ne- this time he's voiced by Steve Whitmire um, when I believe he was done by Jerry Nelson back in the day. This is a Steve Whitmire voice for sure. And it just leads in New Zealand is there's a lot of Lou this week. He must have been on set. Lou Zealand's there. And, uh, and it ends up with this kind of like piggy comes in piggy when she goes from one side to the other, makes the boat drift one way or the other, but the bomb ends up going back and forth. And, and I don't know, it's hard to explain. Like he's doing his bomb act, but then he gets slid backstage and he's like only 20 second, 20 terrifying seconds left till this goes off. And they're and he's like, piggy, go the other way, get him back on stage. And he gets him back on stage and the bomb ends up coming backstage and, uh, Lou grabs it and throws it back. I, w- I was expecting it to come back at Lou since he's a boomerang thrower. That would have gone over my head if that happened, but you're right. I mean, he throws boomerang fish. And so there's a couple times where he throws stuff and I was like, oh, that should come back to him. And it didn't. Um, and of course, it ends with an explosion. But it's good to see Shaky. Also, I'd, I'm trying to remember why, but I just wrote the quote. It's not easy being green for this particular segment. Fozzie asked Kermit if he's feeling all right because he's looking green. Right, that was probably it. And uh, Kermit says, I'm always green. And Fozzie says, well, how do you know when you're sick? So Kermit comes out on stage. He's done. He's had it. He quits. Mm-hmm. He literally comes out and he's like, I quit. Show, they say the show must go on, but not tonight. The show must not go on. This is insane. I don't know what's going on. I quit. And Glenda tells him it's too late to, to do that because we, got, we have a musical finale. We have the musical battle at sea. We have the big finale coming up. And he's like, I don't care. She's like, nope, too bad. We're going to do the musical battle at sea. And we go back to the pirate ship, Glenda and, uh, um, and her crew sing a kind of a medley of sea chanties, mm-hmm. sea shanties. And they're firing cannonballs. And the cannonballs are flying in at them from a, from an unknown ship off the bow. Uh, piggy, <laughs> piggy comes out and tells her to knock it off because they're destroying her pig's theater. And, uh, they tie her up. They tie, she says both tie her up and make her walk the plank, and she doesn't they don't, She doesn't make her walk the plank. They didn't have the budget for that, I guess. I think they just didn't want to provoke Piggy any more than they already were. And then they run out of cannonballs, and she's like, what are we going to do if we're out of cannonballs? <laughs> and in one of my favorite jokes of the episode, the flying zucchini brothers come rushing in. That was a really nice twist. And they're like, use us. This is what we're here for. She's like, human cannonballs. And so they start loading the Zucchini Brothers into the cannons. But then the, the ship that they've been fighting with, well, that, no, actually, that's not true. Then a chicken flies in under the ship as a projectile. And I know Nick likes a projectile chicken. I want to see I want to see Gonzo in a fighting game at some point, and I want that to be his fireball. That's all. A chicken comes in and hits one of the pirates and knocks him overboard. And we get to see, and, and she goes, chickens? That can only be one person. A ship pulls up, and it is Gonzo the Great in an admiral's uniform along with, or maybe maybe it's just a pirate uniform, but it looked like an admiral's uniform to me. With his chicken crew, it turns into a battle between uh, these two ships. And then, and then, and then Gonzo decides to board and the, and the, the chickens, he toasts the chickens, he goes, you know what to do. And they all throw him and he flies right at the camera and then flies under the ship and hooks his nose over the edge of the ship. He's got a very particular set of skills. And pulls himself a very up. Strong nose. He's a living grappling hook. Such a good move. Such a good move to use Gonzo as a grappling hook. So they use Gonzo to, to hook the ships together, and then they board. And then it's kind of weird. They don't pay. They don't really like draw attention to it. But Kermit's one of the people that comes up over the side of the ship, mm-hmm. and he's got a like a cutlass in his teeth. Well, he doesn't have teeth. He's got a cutlass like in his mouth, mm-hmm. ready to go. And then the the ship breaks out into a fight and Kermit ends up dueling Glenda for superiority. He's, he's decided to take back the theater, I guess. Uh, and he ends up winning the fight. Froggy went according. And at one point, someone says, get her, Kermit. And he goes, I will. <laughs> I think it's Gonzo says, get her, Kermit. And he goes, I will. And uh, he ends up disarming her and taking the, uh, taking the ship back and therefore taking the show back. Um, and that's kind of the end of our musical finale. This, to me, was the highlight of the episode, mostly once Gonzo comes into play. Fair. Absolutely fair. Um, once Gonzo start, came into play, I was very happy. The start didn't hook me, but it does build 
to that space because something about those medleys again it still felt like we were hitting that same one note but it this this segment in particular does build it's very long too Mm -hmm. it's a long number Uh, what i like too is it reminds me a lot of in um, muppet treasure island kermit has a a scene where he um he has a duel against tim curry who's playing long john silver i think and he has a he has a duel with him and it reminded me a lot of that duel from Muppet Treasure Island many, many, many years later, decades later. Kermit comes out to say goodnight and he thanks Glenda for being such a good sport and how great she was pretending to be a pirate. And she goes, oh, thanks, Kermit. Can you untie me? And uh, he says, yeah, yeah, uh, Sweetums, I'm tired because Sweetums has changed sides again already. Sweetums is loyal for the moment. She takes a bow, but she uses that as an excuse to pick up her sword and back. she's back to being a pirate. And she cuts a line on the ship and a net falls down on everybody. And uh, Kermit says, uh, says his goodbyes from out under a net. It's kind of like the net in return of the Jedi when they all get caught. Uh, so, so they, they don't let us off the hook. Glenda to, to, from beginning to end, Glenda thinks she's a pirate. So the only logical explanation is that she's certifiable, but then again, maybe not because this, she did manage to turn the theater into a ship. The logic of this episode is very confusing. The Roger Rabbit rule. Only when it was funny. Yeah. So you weren't too hip on this one? I don't dislike it. There are moments that I, I thought were really, really strong, but I I don't think... It's not even fair to say that it doesn't cohere as an episode because it sticks to its theme. It just... It sort of seems, if you'll forgive the pun, it feels like it's treading water a lot of the time. I think I think you're right. Um, I also think because of the length of the finale, it feels short, the episode. Hmm. I think she, like you said, she really commits to it, but it's also one note. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm a pirate arg. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot more to that. You know, I mean, she can sing. She does a good job with the singing. She does a good job with the performance. She's really into it. Um, I read that when, you know, normally when they would get people onto the show, they would ask them, you know, what do you want to do? What Muppets do you want to work with? And Glenda Jackson was like, I'll do whatever you want to do. And this is what they came up with for her was this pirate thing, which I think is cool because she seemed like really game for it. And we end with Statler and Waldorf in the crow's nest with a, an actual, which with a sur- very surly crow, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with a very surly crow. It's not a bad episode, nor is it an episode that I could point at and say, this is a, this is a typical Muppet show episode. If you're looking at the Muppet show and you're wondering what it's about, this is it. And it's not, but at the same time, it's weirdly not, not that. And it just exists in this weird liminal space that, I I don't know. I'm sort of ambivalent toward it. No, that's it's fine. Can't can't love them all. They can't they can't all be Spike Milligan. Oh, thank God. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest, our Senior Wences. So, uh, Senior Wences, kind of a trip. This so kind of a trip. It is a trip, and I've I've got thoughts on the thought process behind this. I like. I feel like I would want to hang out with Senior Winces more than I would want to see him perform, if that makes sense. Like the way the persona that he presents in this episode, and we'll get to it in a minute, is someone who's very affable and ostensibly someone who's very sweet. I, I will also preface before I go into the bio, I found out a lot more about his method than I did about his life. So this might be a shorter one. And I, I apologize if I mispronounce any part of his name. He's Spanish, correct? He is Spanish. Wenceslao? Moreno Centeno was born April 17th, 1896 in Pinaranda de Bracamont, uh, Salamanca, in Spain, to Josefa Centeno Lavera and Antonio Moreno Rose. His mother was from Salamanca. His father immigrated from northern Italy. He was definitely raised Roman Catholic. Um, yeah. At age 15, he learned how to juggle. Uh, and he joined a circus act with a couple of friends of his, and that would sort of launch his career. Like I said, this is a very brief one. Um, it's fine. He was known for his speed, his skill, and his graces of ventriloquist. Now, I'll, I'll get into this once we get into the episode, but I can r- routinely see his mouth moving, but at the same time, this guy was born in 1896. He was operating a while before TV was really a thing. He's also and- 85 years old when he's doing this. Exactly. And I think he, he, I'll say this, he was, he was better at it than Edgar Bergen. Yeah, I could say that. Um, you can like, see his throat moving a lot, but you're going to see that with a ventriloquist. I, I saw his lips moving a fair amount, but it's still, 
he committed, right? Um, and if he started in radio like Bergen did, which it's, like I said, it gets a little bit murky. I'm sure he did, yeah. Then that's something that he would have, like the voices, the impressions, and the timing. His timing is super, super sharp. To switch between the voices the way that he does is great. And I think that's why the, I can't remember, there's someone that you that irritated you from season two or three who did impressions. Rich Little. That was probably it, yeah. Senor Winces doing impressions or anything like that, or just the the facility with which he can shift between very different and distinct character voices and then back and just have a conversation with himself in that way. Yeah, he reminded me of Edgar Bergen in the sense that, yes, he's a ventriloquist. Yes, you can see his lips moving, but it's all about the character. Exactly. It's all about the characters he's creating. In 1996, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award for the U.S. National Comedy Hall of Fame. He retired by age 100, but his his famous puppets, Johnny and Pedro, continued working with other ventriloquists like Jay Johnson, Ricky Lane, Michelle LaFong, who all performed his 100th birthday celebration at the New York Friars Club. He gave his puppets to LaFong in particular, but he also taught her how to perform his classic routines. She continued to perform his routines after he passed, using some original characters as well. He he would pass on April 20th, 1999, three days after his 103rd birthday. He had been residing in Midtown Manhattan. 103. 103. That's a ride. And that section of 54th Street has been named Senor Winsesway. His portrait can be seen at the Players Club in New York. So, but looking at the way that he's remembered, it does seem like he was a really big deal. And I wish that I'd been able to dig a little bit deeper to find more about just how he had made the impact that he made. I know the guys, I know the Muppet people were very excited to have him on the show. Yeah. Um, As as someone who does, as as a man who's uh, in the puppetry world, you know. That's something that, uh, and I don't, I, I can get into that a little bit. Now, I guess this feels so we are both comic book geeks. We met at a comic book store. Avengers Endgame. It's going to sound like I'm damning it with false praise. I promise I'm not. It is an adequate movie. It is adequate in the sense that it was charged with the task of putting a capstone on 10 years of Marvel continuity up to that point and putting in all these callbacks and doing all these other things. And that is a very difficult landing to stick. And it sticks that landing adequately. That doesn't make it a bad movie. That doesn't mean that I didn't have any satisfaction when Captain America said Avengers Assemble or anything like that. It still had its moments, but you could see it trying to stretch in all these directions in order to check all these boxes, right? This So Jim knew that the fifth season was going to be the last season, and it feels like a lot of the episodes, including last episode even, or 507 even, end as though if this is the last episode that's shown, we've got to send off. It's all pirates or it's all something else. And this feels like the Moomin Chance episode feels like Liberace a little bit. Oh, mm, not only, not only in how isolated he is. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but I'm, I'm mostly thinking like this is their sent or, and there might be another one, but this is their send off for a craft episode up to and including us having that been, well, we'll get into the Ben Raku thing in a little bit. I guess we should mention that Bruce Schwartz as well. We, we've talked about him in the past. Yeah. We can just get into it, actually. I don't need to spoil it all up front. The Muppet Show, episode 508, featuring Senor Winces, was produced between April 28th and May 2nd in 1980. It would premiere in the UK on November 23rd of the same year, and it would make it stateside on May 30th of 1981. We get to our cold opening, where Pops is chilling where Pops tends to chill. He meets Senor Winces, who introduces himself as a ventriloquist and a juggler, and he shows off his juggling ability with some nearby oranges. It wasn't a bad introduction, but it was just, it didn't, it didn't grab me in the same way. It's very brief. Yeah. (laughs) We go to the Muppet Show theme where Gonzo plays the opening of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony on his trumpet, which I don't think that's the sound that a trumpet makes, but it's okay. Afterward, he turns to the camera and says, what were you expecting, Rachmaninoff? Gonzo would make that joke. If anyone on the show made that joke... It would either be him or Rolf. He, he knows his classical music. He uses it a lot of times while That's he's, while he's, he's doing tunes. ridiculous things yeah. or ludicrous things. <laughs> and then we go. So this vaguely uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, wondering wow. what you thought about this. Uh, my note is uh, subtext. So we see Pinocchio, uh, which I like the, the set for this is great. Uh, but Pinocchio and a bunch of other dolls sing a song called puppet man for Geppetto as played by pops. 
Papa, Papa, you know it's true. I'm a puppet just for you. I'll do anything you say. I won't have it any other way. Take my heart and take my soul. I'm giving you complete control. If you want to see me do my thing, pull my string. I think this is the first time we've seen Pops in a number. A song that was written by Neil Sedaka and Howard Greenfield, and it was recorded by The Fifth Dimension in 1970. This song... So, Chad, I'm not a parent, as far as I know, and I've checked. There are, lullab- there are love songs that you can sing to your kids as lullabies, and there are love songs that you don't sing to your kids as lullabies. You can, you can sing Close to You by The Carpenters, and that's fine. There's nothing weird about that. Maybe you don't want to sing any Belle Biv DeVoe. Maybe, right? Um, yes. No afternoon delight. Exactly. I don't... There's some, This feels weird. Did it feel weird? It felt weird. It felt uncomfortable. <laughs> I was laughing, but it was an uncomfortable laughter. I don't even remember any of the lyrics. I just remember being like, this is a, this is a very... Uh, this is not agape love. This is amorous love. And... We're not going to kink shame any puppets, but it raised uncomfortable questions. I enjoyed this number. <laughs> I did. I enjoyed this. It's well done. I was just sitting here like, is it okay to laugh at this? Is this a problem? Like, it's not like the My House thing where it's just like, this is dark. This is super dark. And they know exactly what they're doing. Obviously, this isn't the, the intention in which the song was originally written, but it just felt like a weird juxtaposition. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> I should probably listen to the original version of it because I like the fifth dimension. Yeah, it was. It, it's a. It's a just a fine little number with you know Pinocchio and Geppetto that you read a lot more into. One of the first things I pay attention to in a song is its lyrics. No, I, I thought it was. Uh, it was a fine opener, and and in it, you know, we should point out, you know, as Kermit says during the intro, this episode's going to be all about puppets. They're putting on a puppet show. We go backstage and Kermit's excited for the show because they have the idea of an old puppet show, which I feel like there was a prior episode where they said no puppets, like was a rule. Yeah, I think I I, I was kind of getting an itch in the back of my head about that too, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, but Fozzie lets him know that he actually intends to do a, a puppet act. And I just love the line, cue the disaster. And... Fozzie then asks Gonzo to join the act. And I love Gonzo. I love Gonzo so much. Gonzo doesn't dig puppets. He doesn't know what a puppet is. He knows who Rachmaninoff is. They try to explain to him what a puppet is by telling him it's a wiggly doll. And I believe the quote is, who wants to watch dolls wiggle? Doll wiggling. Talk about boring. It's sort of like, who would make a movie about this? And then looking directly at the camera. Now, they keep a very... There's there's one or two moments in this episode where they make a sneaky joke about the Muppets being puppets. Mm-hmm. Most of the time they play it straight. They're just doing a puppet show. There's one with Statler and Waldorf. Personally, I don't care for puppets much. I don't find them believable. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this moment where Gonzo goes off on how wiggling dolls seems so boring and he leaves and Kermit says, I didn't have the heart to tell him. <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't tell him he was a puppet. So, like, there's a couple of moments where they break the fourth wall with it, but most of the time they play it pretty straight that they're putting on it, that the puppets are putting on a puppet show. We've gone pretty meta. We have. We have. But they, they, they play it pretty straight. But that one moment, I didn't, I didn't want to tell them. <laughs> so, I've got one note about the upcoming sketch, our, our first Inuinsa sketch, and I'm just going to put it in here and have you cut it out if it's a problem. There's an episode of South Park where they decide that they're going to piss off Jennifer Lopez. And Cartman gets a hand puppet and he calls it Jennifer Hopez. And it looks so much like what he did or what Senior <laughs> Winters does for Johnny? for Johnny. Yeah. For that hand puppet. And I like the song taco flavored kisses got stuck in my head. And I was like, and this was before I knew it was from Spain and not, you know, somewhere in Latin America. And I was like, I can't make that association. So feel free to cut the last 30 seconds out. We, we go on to see the first performance. Well, I guess you could, the first non-juggling performance that we get from Senor Winces, where he doesn't act with his character, Johnny, who is like just the standard, like, hey, let me tell you something, hand puppet. And Pedro is a head in a box. Uh, yeah. Johnny sings and Pedro vocalizes. But the thing is, I so I, this is the first place I put the note. Like, I see his mouth move so much, but... You mentioned that your daughters got kind of disgusted when he started smoking. 
being able to smoke and switch between those voices is super impressive. No, that's the impressive part. They just went ew when he lit up a cigarette. He like he just like he's he's getting Johnny to to hold a, a sustained note and singing, and he just pulls out a pulls out a heater and just lights it up right on screen. I was like, oh man, the seventies. There's that, but just like inhaling, generating the smoke, and also maintaining that. Yes, isn't it's like I don't know how he did it. I'm very impressed. I also love the exchange. I know what I'm doing, and the follow up. Yes, but I don't. But I don't <laughs> because I I've been on the receiving end of that so many times. Like I don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing this? Stop. You're right about his timing, though. His timing is like Off if I'd hook. seen this live as a child of the seventies, I probably would have been completely enraptured, especially if you're someone that, it, that did grow up with a lot of radio because that rapid fire back and forth and being able to read that is really hard to do. I'll say this Marlboro aside, <laughs> my kids, I think dig dug it, yeah. which I didn't think they were going to. It's so old timey. Well, it's sort of like the Carol Channing principle. It's if you're good enough at what you do, it transcends time. And yeah. certain things have higher barriers to entry. Yeah. Like the best, the world's best Borscht Belt comedian might not be able to land today, but maybe yeah. they could. Maybe if you're, if your timing and your understanding of the structure of a joke is, and the maintenance of that tension is strong enough, you can. But I think for a lot of the Borscht Belt stuff, it just feels phoned in at this point, especially in a post prior and uh, a post Carlin world. But we, we move on to veterinarian's hospital where we see Pinocchio again. Miss Piggy's impression. Miss Piggy <laughs> lip syncing as the announcer does his thing. Yes. Was gold. And I'm amazed that I haven't seen it before now. And I can absolutely see Frank backstage just being like, I don't know what Piggy's going to do at the start. Just start. I'll figure something out. It's fine. Oh, I guarantee that's never scripted. They find it on the day. But yeah, they, they open Vets Hospital with Piggy uh, mouthing along to the announcer. And uh, it's very funny. This is this is a pretty solid one as as. The veterinarians' hospitals go. It has one of my favorite endings. <laughs> They've got Pinocchio on the on the thing, and he they want to fix his nose. And Janice is like, "If he fixes his nose, it will it'll put him out of his misery or whatever." And Rolf's like, "I got a better idea. I'll shorten the sketch, and then everybody will feel better." <laughs> and so we come to the end. And so we come to the end. Good of another veterinarians' hospital. And he's a dog of his word. So. This is weird. Uh, the, <laughs> it's very the upcoming weird. one because it's it's probably the most underwhelming Swedish chef, chef uh, Swedish chef sketch that I've seen. But I also love the Swedish chef, and part of me is just wondering if this is them being nice to him for a night. Like he's usually putting these ridiculous things, and he's like, "I just want to mess with dough." Like I I remember enjoying play doh, but the Swedish chef does his own puppet show with bread dough uh, to the tune of "These boots are made for walking." which was originally written by Lee Hazelwood, but it's best known by for the version by Nancy Sinatra. He just does a little Swedish version of these boots are made for walking. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, this one doesn't land and it's hurtful to say that about a Swedish chef sketch just because like I said, I love the Swedish chef, but this one, yeah. it, this should have been a UK spot. Like the, it, well, the it's last, not, it's not even long enough to do that though. It's, it's, it's yeah. very short. It's a very uh, short, but we're, you're right. We do get a lot of Lou this week. For our next bit, New Zealand goes to Senor Lentis's dressing room to let him know that the telephone isn't working. This is a nice use of his talent, actually, for him to perform the ventriloquist act with the phone. Yeah. Like, it, at first, guess, because this would be one of the times that I didn't really see his mouth moving. I just assumed that Lou was wrong. It didn't occur to me that he was doing the uh, ventriloquism thing until a little bit into it. Yeah. Yes, I was waiting for you for the last two weeks. Yes, everybody nice. Yes, I know. Hey, what the hell? Yes. yes, 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 I know that. Yes. Okay. yes. One second, yes, yes. Of course, he's here, low. Hmm? I have a mistake for you. For me? Oh, you must be mistaken. No mistake at all. It is the phone company. They want you to stop breaking the telephone. Oh, that he was he was doing both sides of the conversation on the phone. Yeah. And then Lou just loses it and decides that he's going to just dispose of the phone himself because he said the phone wasn't working. And Lou is a, a muppet of his word. Yeah. And he, he, break, he breaks out a big like mallet, like the only like like a mallet, like that you only use in comedy. 
Mm-hmm. It's not actually a functioning tool. It's just a mallet. It's just a comedy mallet. And he bashes up the telephone. But uh, yeah, I thought it was clever. I, I, I you know, I mean, let's let's say it how it is, right? In this episode, Senior Winces is brought on, and he just does his bits. Yeah, and he doesn't do any sketches. He doesn't, you know. I mean, this is the closest thing he does to a sketch. Season one, this would have bothered me more because the show is so much better integrated now. Yeah, it doesn't bother me in the same way. Like yeah. he's, we're not going to get to that bit at the end of the episode where all the Muppets gather around him while he sings. He's just. He's doing his bit, but we also have our backstage story going on because of the puppet show. Yeah, no, the backstage, because now the backstage stories are much more involved mm-hmm. than they were in the first seasons as well. But yeah, he he just comes on and he does his shtick and that's completely fine. I mean, there, there are, we've had musicians that have just come on, sang their two and a half songs, right? And that's all they do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he's doing, right? He's He's coming on, he's doing... He's doing three pieces that he has done a million times before. And, but in this, he's doing a two, he's, he's, he's simulating a conversation with someone on the telephone. It doesn't really matter what he's saying as much, but he's using, he's using his voice to do both, you know, but he, but he's, and, he, and you're right. He's not moving his lips very much. So we get to our second UK spot, this recording that should not have been a UK spot. Cause this is one of the highlights of the episode. Bo comes on and he decides that he wants to perform a Punch and Judy puppet show for Kermit. <laughs> and just. I'm just picturing it. Oh, it's so good. It's so very good. Um, Miss Piggy, as a pig of class, takes offense that, you know, she doesn't get to. That dolls have space on the show, but she doesn't have space for her song. And Miss Piggy and Kermit get into an argument about whether or not. Puppetry is a valid art form. Kermit, is, is this what you have booked on the show tonight instead of moi? Uh, Piggy, please. You know, I had a song for tonight, but you said the dolls are going to be on. Uh, yeah. Kermit, watch me. Kermit. Piggy, these are not just dolls. Puppetry is an art form, Piggy. You call that violence art? Violence belongs with puppetry. It's hitting her. That's Punch and Judy. They've always been violent. It's good. It's good. It's a yeah, good aggressive behavior. Better, better than my act. Uh, Piggy. I'll show you aggressive. What? I'll, I'll show you behavior. Uh, the thing about this is probably one of the most meta sketches that I've seen on this show because we've got the Punch and Judy aspect with Bo not really know what's going on. We've got Piggy and Kermit discussing the merits of it. And then both of them are being performed by the top two performers. It just keeps layering in. Um, and then Miss Piggy of all of the Muppets make this comment says that the puppets are just violent. And yeah. there's there's this thing, I think the line is, you call that violence art, which is hilarious coming from Miss Piggy, but the back and forth of what's going on in the background with Bo moving the, the Punch and Judy puppets, and then Miss Piggy and Kermit mirroring that blocking in the, the foreground was such a nice touch. No, this is just very funny. You can see where this act is going, because Kermit tries to speak up and defend the puppets, and then Miss Piggy decides to so- show him true violence. Um, yeah. but this, this should not have been a UK spot. This absolutely should have been in the episode proper. This is one of the highlights of the episode, but we go, we go back to the the stage and Kermit gets ready to introduce one of the world's greatest puppeteers, which means our friendly patrol bear and non-patrol bear uniform decides that it's his cue. It is not his cue. So Bruce Schwartz is returned. Um, we last saw him in season one, I thought. No, season, season two. two. Season two. Um, yeah. But he performs a Japanese ghost story with Bunraku puppets. Um, episode two sixteen was the last time that he appeared. He did like the he did like the ballerina puppet. Yeah, uh, with with the ghost story, there's a moment where he extends the fan for the first time, and it's weirdly satisfying. Like, I I can't articulate or qualify why it just is. This is a very nice technical sketch for them. It is. Yeah, it's a pretty piece. Yeah, it's solid. You get enough of what's going on in the same way that Moomin Chance, you don't need to know anyone's name. You can still get the thrust of whatever the sketch is without any dialogue. No, I thought it was, I thought it was beautiful. I will say that there is a non 0% chance that I will be woken up in the middle of the night tonight by a kid who was freaked out by this. That's absolutely fair. My kids were both really creeped out at the end and that's, and we're not in, and, and, 
not like in a way where like I I didn't observe it. I they, they told me mm. they were like that was really creepy, and I was like okay, and they were like, and my daughter was like, no, that was really creepy. And I'm like, oh shit, gonna hear about that at two in the morning. <laughs> so we go backstage where. Fozzie introduces Kermit to his marionette, Gumdrop the Gorilla, who has already become tangled up in his own strings. So Fozzie cuts him from the act. And Fozzie's like, I'm I'm underselling this, but the one note that I have for this section is I love Frank because Frank is absolutely on fire as Fozzie in this moment. When he's trying to show off his Gumdrop. Gumdrop the Gorilla. It's a solid like precursor to Nightmare Fuel, which we'll get to in a second. I just know you're itching to get to the clown. I want to get away from the clown. I haven't said nightmare fuel properly all episode because it's all been waiting for this particular moment. And I think I wrote (laughs) nightmare fuel with six L's because, Oh, this is terrifying. Like it's, I saw Chucky at too young an age around the time it came out. Fozzie opens with the dancing clown and he's running a marionette, which I I don't know. Maybe there's some deep seated fear of clowns or something. I I don't know, but a lot of people have it. I've got reasons. It's not an un, it's not an uncommon phobia. Apparently, my great grandmother was super into clowns, and there was like this Ringling Brothers poster of all these clowns that looked like they're about to jump someone. So they're just mean mugging, and I remember that like from early childhood, as I share yep. personal trauma on a podcast. Fozzie starts getting a little power mad, which doesn't last because if one puppet's sentient, it's safe to assume that any puppet's sentient. So the dancing clown fights back and pulls Fozzie down from his perch. Now I called this nightmare fuel because it's upsetting, but. This is only the first half of the nightmare fuel. We'll get back to that in a moment. Statler and Waldorf's response to this is amazing. Poor Fuzzy. I don't know whether to laugh or feel sorry for him. He wanted to make us laugh. I feel sorry for him. (laughs) So from there we go back and Gonzo's watching from the wings and he concludes that puppets are actually a great idea for an act because I guess... He's watching Fozzie get eviscerated or something. I mean, it's a disaster, so Gonzo loves it. The Muppets gather to watch Senor Wences' final act, and Lou seems super excited. Senor Wences comes in with Cecilia Chicken, and he juggles all... And this is... We t- we've talked about his timing before, but he's he's playing it to the hilt, switching between characters in this particular section. Oh, Cecilia. And second name? Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> My name is Senor Wences. This is Yanni. Martin. Yes, yes. Nice, nice boy. You like Cecilia? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh. When he's like, there's, I, I feel like I'm underselling it, but also there's not a lot to say about what he does in it in particular, because a lot of it comes down to the dynamism with which he can transition. Right. Yeah. It's hard. Um, it's hard to explain. He's, it's just, he's, he's voicing three different characters and juggling them around and actually four. Cause he's also doing his telephone bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you're right. It's all about that rapid fire changing of gears that he keeps doing that rapid fire, uh, um, going between the characters is, is really what it's about. You know, it, it took me a while to figure out that it was the, the comedies in the rhythm, mm-hmm. even less so than it is in the words is the comedies in the rhythm. Definitely, definitely. Especially in, in his case, true. Yeah, so I'm saying in this, right? It's just, it's it's the rhythm that, that does it. I kind of liked him. Like, I, th- this just feels like, this just is, by the way, the second half of the his act that he did before, right? Yeah, it, it basically. They shot it all at once, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> um, they shot it probably just in one take. He probably just did both of them, and that was it, because he had done it a thousand times. Mm. But I kind of, I kind of, I kind of, I, th- I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, it's good. And as a personality, he just seems really, really nice. I would go to a meet and greet with this guy, probably without hesitating, just to be like, "You seem really awesome." We get to the closing and the other half of Nightmare Fuel. The so the closing, uh, Senor Winces reveals that he actually liked Bobby or Bobby. He actually liked Fozzie's failed puppet act, and. Fozzie returns to Sage to show that he has changed the act as he is now the marionette with a dancing clown pulling his strings. And my note for this was, did they kill Fozzie? Because this is something, <laughs> this is something distinctly out of like those eighties, nineties, supernatural horror movies like phantasm or puppet master or Chucky, where you have those weird creative kills. And like, it's, it's a, it's a leprechaun bit. Did he turn him into a puppet? Oh, so you're worried that Fozzie's dead. And this isn't actually Fozzie speaking. He's being 
He's being controlled by the puppeteer. By the evil clown. It was just upsetting. As I, I thought it was a pretty upsetting image just in general to like be at the mercy of this clown who has proven to be an asshole. Yeah. And why Fozzie would volunteer for that. And, and what is the, I hate to get into it, but what is the surgical process he had to undergo? That's why I was wondering, like, is this taxiderm to bear? Like, what is, is he like patched into his nervous system? What is this? We go through the uh, the Muppet Show closing, and then we see Statler and Waldorf playing with puppets of their own and just like letting go. Of the- are they softening? Are they getting nicer as the show goes on? Because it seems like they're they they're are engaged. a little bit. It seems like a little bit, huh? These were these weren't bad episodes. I I would go so far as to say that they were good episodes, but not great episodes. Each of yeah. them had their moments. Like I could see one of these episodes or something from one of these episodes making it onto my end of season list. Oh no, there was good stuff in here for sure. I wouldn't have guessed it, but I think I ended up liking the second episode a little more. Hmm. Next time. Ease on down, ease on down the road. So um, next time we'll be talking about episodes number 509 with Blondie frontwoman Debbie Harry. And episode 510 with flautist Jean-Pierre Rempal. Well, you looked out next time. <laughs> I say that without knowing anything about the flautist. I should be nice. He's probably awesome. On the Muppet Show, sometimes you get Debbie Harry and sometimes you get a flautist. (laughs) Watch, I'll be super impressed by his episode. I'm sure he'll be great. But uh, uh, anyway, and I'm very much looking forward to it. But uh, uh, at Lunatic Daring, social media, lunaticdaring.com. If you get a chance, leave us a review. Um, on a rating on a, your podcast app of choice, it would really help. We'll we'll talk about that loudest in uh, two weeks. Uh, but so until then, I'm Chad. I'm Nick. And uh, thanks for listening. A feat of lunatic daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Potowitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio.